Welcome into the Orange and Blue News podcast. I am Alec Bussey, taking the reins from our publisher, Doug Bouchon, today to host today's episode. We're going to hit on a lot of different topics. We're going to talk about name, image, likeness, obviously the biggest topic in college sports. We're eventually going to hit on some Illinois football recruiting and then maybe even hit some Illinois basketball recruiting at the very end. Doug, thanks for uh, allowing me to host today. I feel like I'm the big man on campus, I guess. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for doing it, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. All right, let's kind of dive into this name image likeness stuff. It seems really interesting. We've already seen a lot of athletes across not just the Big Ten, but across the campus of Illinois and the country really get involved with NIL. And we're only on the first day of it. We've seen a couple of Illinois athletes get involved with it. Trent Frazier's tweeted things out. Keith Randolph, uh, Marquez Beeson, I think both tweeted things out for GoPuff, that delivery service. Doug, what are your kind of big takeaways from name image likeness as we're less than 14 hours into the experience of this as we're recording right now. Well, what I would say is buckle your seatbelt because it's going to be, it's going to be the wild, wild west here, at least um, for a month or so while people figure out all the parameters of this and how the process is going to work. Uh, I think you're going to see businesses and corporate America and, and um, all those types of organizations really pushing the boundaries on this and seeing how they can, they can profit from it. Uh, I think the University of Illinois specifically and Josh Whitman, the athletic director, were, were ahead of the game on this, probably more so than most other schools in the, in the NCAA. They hired branding people. Uh, they, had a, they had a plan. But I, I think that the legislation that was signed by Governor Pritzker just a couple of days ago uh, probably didn't consider all of, the, all of the different things that the universities are going to have to consider as far as screening these deals through compliance and, and uh, through the communications department at the schools. So it's going to be crazy and it's going to be a tri trial and error here for a while until we figure out exactly what this means. Yeah, so I think my biggest takeaway from it is that when we think back to how we got here, before we started recording, you talked about like the 10 years ago thing and whether you want to go all the way back to the Ed O'Banion lawsuit, which kind of ended the EA Sports video games, or you want to fast forward to, I think it was 2019 when the state of California institutes or comes out and says, hey, we're going to have a name image like this law in place, and it's going to go in place on this date. And this is giving the NCAA time to figure it out. And the NCAA, quite frankly, like kind of just kept kicking the can down the road and has been hoping for federal legislation from Congress. And that just hasn't happened. And from what I've gathered with conversations with Josh Whitman, whether it was at his media roundtable or just other people around the NIL area is that we got here because the NCAA kind of kept kicking the can down the road. And now we're in the wild west, like you kind of mentioned, where they have this emergency guideline thing that they released this week but it doesn't seem to cover everything that it probably should cover. Like you said, I feel like there's a lot of unknowns and going to the open house that they had at the Smith center on Tuesday night, it was incredible to me to just hear how many times people said, yeah, I don't know. We were trying to figure that out. And to hear that honestly to me is great because I don't think you want to be lying to business people in your community or be lying to your student athletes about different aspects, but it's difficult to me to kind of understand where this is going and the effect that it's going to have on the overall landscape of college sports, because to quote Josh Whitman, not word for word, but Tuesday night, he said that this is the biggest change in college sports since the institution of scholarships back in the 1950s. And quite frankly, I think it's hard to disagree with that comment from Josh Whitman. 
No doubt, it's a huge change. And I can tell you that uh, corporate America and existing uh, sports agents um, and even uh, even local businesses are licking their chops and seeing a lot of opportunities here. I think the, the agents in particular are going to try to corner their market on this and they're going to, you know, the college athletes can go to them now as business managers and help them work out contracts for them. So, so yeah, I mean, and what you're going to see is if, if the NCAA and the schools try to put the kibosh on some of the deals that are cut, you're going to see, you're going to see some lawsuits and this is going to go to court and, you know, it has the potential to, once again, go all the way up to the Supreme Court if, if they try to limit the contracts that guys can sign. And I think there's some reasonable limitations already on alcohol, uh, you know, bars, um, marijuana, adult entertainment, and that kind of stuff. And I think they should be able, they should be able to follow those guidelines. But um, if they really try to slow this down for the athletes, it's not going to end well for the universities. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to, to and again, we're not even 14 hours into the NIL era as we're recording this, but we've already seen some athletes just ink major deals, right? Like we've seen De'Ara King, the quarterback at Miami of Florida. He signed a deal with college hunks hauling junk per uh, Jordan Schultz of ESPN. And the deals are $20,000. Like that's crazy. And we're not even a full day into this. We've seen Bo Nix, the quarterback at Auburn, sign a deal with his tea company. And that's like just big ones. And we've seen Trent Frazier do a couple of things, whether it's with Cameo or video game streaming. Like, it's crazy to me that we've seen so many different athletes do different creative things. And there's obviously kids who are going to be successful on the social media front. And then there's going to be kids that are successful with the corporate America kind of thing that you kind of said. And to see that one player has already signed a contract for $20,000 is incredible. And I think it really kind of reminded me and probably reminded other people of the power that college athletics has and the power that college athletes have across the country and how much money these kids can potentially make. And Doug, it's no secret to you and I, I mean, we cover Illinois basketball for a job and our livelihood. And I would assume it would have been a rock star with this. Think about how great and how successful he would have been with, he's a, he's incredibly savvy, great business person, great at marketing himself, great at building his own brand. And he's got things about him. Obviously he's a great basketball player. He had the mask at this most recent year and he had the hair and we saw Barstool Sports make shirts with Io's face on it and the mask and his hair. Like that's something that Io could have done in his time at Illinois. And to see that how much has changed in the last three, four months and to see how successful Io could have been to now kind of transform it to what we could see with current Illinois athletes and how successful some of them could be is just really interesting to me because the financial aspects of this, I think are going to be a lot greater than maybe what I even originally anticipated. Along those lines. And I'm glad you brought up an Illinois player. Um, what do you, do you think Kofi Coburn could make more money with a, with a two way contract or a G league contract, or could he make more money if he came back to the university and, and uh, uh, with NIL legislation in place? I don't know. I think that's just like another one of the interesting aspects. And I think that it's one of the things that maybe makes Kofi's decision maybe just that much more difficult, right? Because when you, Kofi has social media, Kofi's scrolling through Twitter today, and I'm sure he's seen a lot of the same tweets we are of athletes, you know, being offered these different contracts or signing contracts for X amount of dollars. I mean, there's nothing that's stopping Kofi Coburn, in my opinion, of signing a contract for $20,000 to, for, for example, the same company, College Hunks, only junk or whatever the name of it was like, there's no reason that Kofi couldn't do that same thing, but 
at the end of the day too, you know, there's that aspect of going and being a professional and not having to go to class and be in the real world and those things that maybe Kofi's just ready to do. And maybe he's ready to go live out his dream of playing professional basketball. Just like Io, he's a very marketable kid, very personable, likable, uh, likable guy. And he could, he could probably make quite a bit of money and just off the, the local community in Champaign. But, uh, you know, the one thing that was kind of funny is um, when this legislation was signed, they made it clear that that um, this is not going to be a recruiting enticement. Uh, coaches can't go out on the road and say, come to the University of Illinois and we'll get you a, a deal with, uh, with Chevrolet and you can sell cars for them and make a bunch of money. But then the, the first words out of Josh Whitman, the athletic director's mouth was, this is going to be a great recruiting tool for us. So, so those are the kind of things and the kind of boundaries and, and stuff that I, that's interesting right now with, with no real specific guidelines that we're aware of on how this is going to be implemented and who's going to have oversight over it. Yeah. And to me, I think the recruiting aspect of it is what gets really interesting. And I was talking with friends of mine who had questions for me about it and I don't want to act like I'm a name image likeness expert. I'm far from it, but you know, one of my fears for it was, and it's no secret, Doug, right? The shooting in college sports is rampant. And especially in college basketball, we've seen it with the FBI investigation and wiretapping and what have you. The same thing goes on in college football. And I think that this maybe opens the door for different things to get involved with cheating and recruiting. And I think you could see big donors at schools that own businesses tell recruits and get in contact with the families or circles around a recruit. Hey, I own this company in this town. And if you want to come and play basketball or play football or baseball or whatever sport it is, softball, gymnastics, and market for us. And I'll guarantee that I sign you with a contract that inks you to X amount of dollars and for this amount of time. And all you have to do is X, Y, and Z. And that to me is what's really, really interesting. But a word that was used a lot at the open house was when people had questions with, well, how are you going to determine how much these kids are going to be worth? Or how do you set a limit on it or whatever? And they were pretty blunt and honest. And Dr. Brian Russell, one of the people who's taken the lead for Illinois basically said, it's a free market. If a company wants to pay an athlete $300,000 to do something, it's a free market. And that athlete's value is set at that and they can go capitalize on it however they so choose. So it's capitalism, right? That's it's how the American economy works. If an if an athlete makes money and someone's willing to pay him that much for it, well, good for the athlete. They get that much money from it. I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, starting with the NCAA, I I can see from their standpoint why they were reluctant and why they drug their feet and why they were hoping that this wouldn't be um, the end state when it comes to NIL because they're trying to preserve the current structure that is a huge moneymaker for them. They're trying to as, uh, maintain um, power over, the, over their member institutions, be able to set the rules. But the way this is going, this huge wave of money that this is gonna create, uh, I think eventually you're just gonna see the NCA throw up their hands and say, okay, we give up on amateurism. Uh, you know, and there's already some people that say it's a, amateurism is a facade in the first place. But uh, I can see why they would want to try to preserve, uh, preserve college sports uh, the, the way they are now. Same thing with the universities. Uh, you know, universities make money off, uh, off, of, off of athletics. And I can see why they would want to maintain control, especially 
um, you know, in the communications offices and the compliance offices and, and uh, you know, the current structure is, uh, is uh, a lot of jobs for them, for them. So uh, there was a, you know, there's a lot of pushback on this for years, but it, but they went to court and there's just no legal ground for them to stand on trying to prevent it. It's just going to be really interesting to me as we move forward to see how this evolves and to see how it changes. And I think it's something, Doug, that quite honestly, in two, three years from now, we may look back on and say, wow, look how much we've learned. Look how much we've changed since July of 2021 when we instituted this. I mean, maybe we get to 2023, 2024, and we have new laws and new legislation that goes around that's in place to make sure that the wrong people don't get in contact or that help athletes surround themselves with the right people once they're in college or starting the recruiting process that makes sure that shady business people and people that don't have the best interests of our young people in heart and we make sure that those people are making the right choices that our athletes are making the right choices and not getting quite honestly just making bad business deals because that's something that Illinois said Tuesday night that they're not able to comment on whether it's a good or bad business deal for the athletes and I think the last thing that anyone should want to see is a wealthy businessman, a wealthy businesswoman take advantage of a college kid because they just don't know what they're signing up for. And they may not be able to read all the fine print or may not have an understanding of what something means on a contract. And hopefully that's something that people don't abuse, but it's hard for me to understand that there's people out there that won't abuse it. Oh, they're going to push the boundaries. There's no doubt about that. But uh, one thing the universities can do is they can do stuff like hold seminars for their athletes to teach them about uh, businesses, pra business practices, you know, best practices for them. But I mean, you're going to see, you're going to see some problems. You're going to see some athletes go bankrupt. Uh, you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to see some things get out of control. You're going to see some coaches unhappy that they're spending a lot of time on, on uh, making money. Uh, instead of studying or or uh, getting in the weight room and that kind of stuff, so hopefully, hopefully it won't become a major distraction uh, for the athletes. Uh, the other question I had for you was, you know, it, I think ever since the Power Five was put in place, uh, most of the changes in college sports have um, been driven by those schools, and they've made the strong institutions, the strong programs, even stronger, and made it tougher for the little guy to compete. In college football, for example, we keep having the same teams over and over again in the college football playoff. Uh, that's going to change, you know, with 16 teams. But um, do you think this this uh, NIL stuff is is going to um, exasperate that and and make the the, the uh, strong stronger and the weak weaker? I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops because I think and in my conversations with former Illinois football safety Kevin Mitchell from the Rose Bowl team in 2007, 2008, we kind of talked about that. And we talked about how you could see schools that are in urban areas. Let's use Georgia Tech as an example. That's not a traditional power in college football or college basketball or that, you know, it's based in Atlanta. A lot of businesses are in Atlanta. A lot of companies that are probably looking to market with kids are based in Atlanta. Maybe Georgia Tech's able to up themselves and I know they're in the ACC but to me Georgia Tech's not someone who I look at as one of like the mammoths of college sports one of the big dogs they're, they they have their place at the bowl with the other big schools because they're in the ACC but I don't think that they necessarily have the pull that an Alabama that a Florida that
that an Ohio State, that a USC, that a UCLA might have, or a Texas. But then you look at another school that does have a strong urban area, like a Texas or like an Ohio State, a traditional power in men's football. And you look at how those schools could really benefit from it. And Ohio State is, let's use them as an example, because I think most of our listeners are most familiar with Ohio State because we're based in Big Ten country, right? Like Ohio State recruits better than anyone in the Big Ten, and it's not close. And they win more games than anyone in the Big Ten, and it's not close. So is Ohio State able to become more powerful because they're in Columbus and they have a strong urban background with a lot of companies surrounding them? They might. They might be able to recruit more kids that are really talented that want to go and be in Columbus because they can make more money off their name, image, likeness then they might be able to if they were to go to Nebraska or if they were to go to Minnesota or, well, Minnesota is based in the Twin Cities, so that's probably not a great example. Or Penn State is a, is a really good example of someone who's kind of just in the middle of their state, in the middle of nowhere, not a super great connection to a major urban area. I think it's really interesting to see how schools like Ohio State potentially propel themselves up, but maybe a school like Houston, based in an American school, not huge, not super successful historically in football has had good runs in basketball and we see them with a two seed last year maybe houston's able to get really really successful with this because they're in a good area but kevin mitchell made a really good point that you can get kids all you want and you can sell them on their name image likeness but if you don't have a good coach if you don't have the facilities if you don't have the tools to make the athlete successful on the field they're still going to run into some roadblocks and speed bumps that make it difficult for them to compete with the traditional big boys of the sport. You know, with all the information available to kids these days, um, I, I, this is going to be an incentive, I, I think, for athletes uh, to work harder to, to try to get to those big those big schools where they can market themselves and make a whole bunch of money. You know, kids that were maybe a, a marginal before, an FCS type of kid or a group of five type of kid, Maybe he's going to go the extra mile, so he can go to Michigan. He can go to Ohio State, and uh, make a whole bunch of money with his with his name and likeness. And another thing that plays into it is the hometown of the of the recruit. I mean, there's all the opportunities aren't just in the college town. Um, you you bring a Chicago kid to Notre Dame. There's a there's 10 million people in Chicago land, one of the biggest markets in the country, where you could you could uh, market that kid. So it's not you know it's not just Iowa City or or Lincoln, Nebraska. It's it's also where the kids coming from. So, but you you're ready to move on to some recruiting talk? Um, yeah, before I, we do, I, I want. I think the bottom line on this uh, nil stuff is we don't know where the hell it's going. You know, yeah, uh, it's a can of worms. It's opened up now. There's there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. It's here to stay, but uh, we're just gonna have to play it uh, one day at a time. Yeah, before we go over to this recruiting stuff, let's, I want to ask you one fun question around name image likeness. We've seen Reggie Bush tweet about this. We know how successful Zion Williamson would have been with this. Is there one athlete of the, over the last, let's keep it in my lifetime, going back to like 1999, 2000, that you think would be more successful with this than anyone else? Just kind of have a fun conversation before we get to the recruiting aspect. Oh, I don't know. Um, um, maybe Tim Tebow. Yeah. Very marketable guy, is a well-spoken kid, had a great following. You know, he's a little bit of a divisive guy. I don't know why you wouldn't like the guy, though. I mean, he's, he's a good dude. He worked, he worked hard. Uh, he didn't have the skills to play quarterback in the NFL, but, but um, so he didn't make that kind of money. You know, he's not signing million-dollar contracts in the NFL. But 
he was a Heisman Trophy winner as a junior. He was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy as, as a senior. You can make the case that he's one of the top five college quarterbacks of all time. He won a couple of national championships. So that, you know, I think Tebow would have would have really benefited from this stuff. And then uh, at Illinois specifically, think about guys like a Dee Brown. What that guy could have done with this? I mean, he's still the face of the program all these years later. You know, 15, 16 years later, you still see D Brown. Um, you know, with uh, holding out the Illini as symbol on his jersey, so he he could made a lot of money at it when he was at Illinois. Yeah, I think that I think that those kind of things are fun to look back at. And you think about Reggie Bush and like, man, like you still see kids quoted in stories that are saying, "Yeah, my hero growing up was Reggie Bush. I love watching his highlights on YouTube, and his highlights are amazing to watch." But like Reggie Bush is someone who would have done really well with it, and Zion Williamson obviously I think would have. I think Reggie it. Bush did pretty well as a college athlete, anyways. So. He did. You're right. But I think Zion would have done incredible well with oh, it no doubt. because of the social media aspect that he had that. You met, I mentioned Reggie Bush, you mentioned Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was kind of at the really early stages of social media with like Facebook and Twitter, I think. But Zion would have had Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat to use to really market himself. And I think Zion would have done really well. I mean, think about like Zion ripping that shoe on the court against North Carolina. Like that blew up on SportsCenter for the longest time. And I think that they would have been able to continue conversations like that. And Zion would have been able to market with anyone and everyone because Everyone seems to like Zion. He's fun to watch. He's really cool. And even North Carolina fans don't seem to always hate Zion Williamson, which is kind of, you know, you're, you know, you know, you got a special personality when Duke and North Carolina fans don't hate someone on the other team. He's a unique athlete too. You don't see too many guys that big that can move like that. And uh, you throw in the personality and, and uh, everybody likes a high flyer who, you know, dunks the ball. So yeah, he, he could have did really well. He would have done great. All right, let's transition this to Illinois football recruiting. Doug, Illinois is up to 10 kids now in their recruiting class. They land Ashton Hollins yesterday, a wide receiver, really fast kid. He's on record running a 4-4-40 at an Alabama camp, I believe is where he did that. Let's hit this one real quick. What's Illinois getting in Ashton Hollins? Well, they were looking for a big outside receiver, a guy with with length, with some physicality about him, and that's what you're getting with this kid. He, He's a little bit thin right now, but if you look at his frame on film, you know, he's a kid that's going to be able to play at over 200 pounds at the wide receiver position. He's six foot four, so he's strictly an outside guy at the X wide receiver. Uh, he's going to have to be taught how to run routes and how to high point the ball and all that stuff as, as far as uh, wide receiver play because he played primarily quarterback in high, in high school. He was the best athlete on the team, so he played dual threat quarterback. Uh, and I think his football speed – uh, is not quite as good as his, as, uh, his speed in, in shorts when he's running 40s at a camp. You know, he ran a 4-4 at the Alabama camp, and Illinois was there. Uh, George McDonald, the wide receiver coach, was there. really liked him a lot. Um, but you're, you're getting a raw guy that's going to ha- have to be taught how to play wide receiver, and it, it just depends on what his learning curve is like, if he's going to uh, compete for playing time early or, or, or take a while. Yeah, Doug, and what I really like about this to get is it's something that Illinois doesn't really seem to have right now in their wide receiver room. Obviously, that's a position of major need on the roster. There's not a lot of depth there, not a lot of proven playmakers at a position of need, of course, offensively. I like what they've done with getting Hollins a really fast kid, like you mentioned, and maybe not as fast as his 4-4 time really shows. But he's got an ability to just line up on the outside and potentially just beat a corner off the line of scrimmage and get open down the sideline or get open over the middle. And 
potentially make a big play. And the saying that speed kills is more true than ever. I mean, look at what teams have been able to accomplish in college football. Jerry Judy was one of the fastest kids on a football field. Jalen Waddle was one of the fastest wide receivers I've ever seen in college. And both went in the first round in the NFL draft. And I'm not saying that Ashton Hollins is going to be the caliber wide receiver that either of those players were go first round in the NFL draft, but getting kids who are just freak athletes that have athletic traits that you can't coach are always a good thing to kind of target when you feel like you have a coaching staff that can develop the skill set that's needed. And I know that's something that Brett Bielma feels like he has with George McDonald at wide receiver. Well, remember too how Brett Bielema won when he was at Wisconsin, and that was with physical football players at every position, mm-hmm. skill positions, and that's what this kid is going to be. He's, when, once he gets in the weight room with Tank Wright, uh, puts on some poundage and, and gets stronger, he's going to be a really good blocker. He's already a, a willing blocker now and, and a physical kid. He's a kid that's going to uh, pick up yards after contact, and and um, you know, he, he's going to be able to get behind the defense too, I think, and be a big play threat. So, he, he, you know, it's the kind of wide receiver that Wisconsin has won with and, uh, and beat up Illinois cor- corners with, you know, because Illinois had, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, like, I like the kid. I don't think he's an instant impact type of a player, but <coughs> he's uh, similar to Ian Pugh, too. They have, so they, now they have two big guys on the outside, I think, and they're pretty happy with that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Ian Pugh. He's someone who I wanted to ask about because he's someone who's, you know, really versatile at wide receiver. He can bounce around in different positions. He's got good speed. He's got good power. He's got good finesse skills. He's, he's a good route runner to me too. And that's what I've really kind of taken away from his skill or from his film is his route running abilities. I think when you combine Hollins, Pugh, and of course, Hank Beatty and the slot, and you look at the three wide receivers always brought in in this class, they all kind of bring something a little bit different and a versatility to them. And you can really see what Illinois is looking to do in the passing game with these three wide receivers that they have committed and what they've targeted in the tight end room. And obviously what they've made public in media statements and who they've targeted in the running game. And of course, Donovan Leary at quarterback. It's very clear to me that they have a formula that they want to attack and that's how they're going to go after it. So let's see how this works and let's see how, these different pieces fit together in two, three years down the road. Cause I think that's going to be really interesting. And you might see one or two of these kids on the field, a decent amount, not all the time as freshmen next year, but maybe we see them in different gadget situations where they want to get a pew on the field, where they want to get a Hank Beatty on the field and just see what they can do. Uh, I would mention to you also that uh, remember Isaiah Williams still has what, four years of eligibility. Is that right? Because of the, the uh, free year because of COVID and that, that kid's going to be special. I watched him play in St. Louis in high school. When you put the ball in his hands, uh, you just can't catch him. He's a perfect fit for the slot. Uh, I saw him at the Rivals camp playing wide receiver, and he has, he has uh, good hands. Uh, his uh, technique needs a little bit of work, but he'll get coached up on that. But uh, I, from the people I've talked to who, who saw workouts and, have, and saw spring ball, um, Isaiah Williams might be the best player on, on the team. Offensively, and and the, bi- the biggest weapon that they have this fall, and he's still going to be there for quite a few years. A really special football player. Yeah, and you look at what Isaiah brings in his work ethic and his determination to really attack the wide receiver position full blow. Um, there's no reason to think that he couldn't be a really impact player this coming season for Illinois. 
All right, Doug, let's transition to some of these other kids that Illinois is really targeting right now on the recruiting front. Aiden Lawfrey, a kid who has the ability to probably play running back and defensive back in college from Gibson City, Illinois, pretty much in Illinois' backyard. It's about 30 minutes, 30 miles or whatever from Champaign. He just took an official visit to Iowa. I know Illinois was very impressive to him after his official visit to the Smith Center. That was the first weekend, I believe, of June when Illinois had those 10-plus official visitors. Where, where do things kind of stand with him? How confident do you think Illinois should be? Where, where are things at with him right now? Well, if you remember, he, he recruited up there. I mean, he uh, visited up there with Jacob Bostic. It was on that the same weekend they visited. Bostic just committed to Iowa. I think it was earlier today. I think it's a fit, kind of 50-50 with uh, Aiden Lowry between Illinois and Iowa. And that, that's what he's going to be mulling over. The, the question I have about him is what position he's going to play. You know, he plays running back in high school. He plays some safety in high school. I don't think he's a slot receiver. I'm not sure he's a Big Ten running back. No, no doubt that he's an excellent athlete. Um, and to me, watching his huddle film, he's, safety is probably his best position. And that's, that's where I would be recruiting him if I, if I was Illinois. I think what's really interesting, too, with Illinois targeting Lawfrey is when you look at the recruiting class, they've already got other, you know, running backs on board, most notably Jordan Anderson from Juliet Catholic. And I know he's kind of like a bruiser. He's not going to be your bell cow three, three down back. You're going to give the ball to a lot and hope to, you know, really carry you to 200, 150 rushing yards a game, I don't think, because I don't think he has that breakaway speed that you need. But getting Lawfrey would be the second running back in this class, and I think it's something that Owen is probably kind of – the running back position, I think you and I have discussed this in the past. It's If it's not the best position on the roster right now, it's probably second. And you kind of want to keep that going, especially with this new offensive skill set. And you're going to lose kids fairly soon here from that room. Mike Epstein's – only got a year or two left of eligibility, but we've already seen he's kind of contemplated not playing football anymore with all the injuries he's gone through in the past. And he went through another offseason surgery this year. And Chase Brown, if you meant Doug, if he has a really good year, maybe he decides to test NFL waters after two years at Illinois. And obviously Reggie Love is someone who you're really high on. And I think Illini fans should be really excited about as well. And you look at Chase Hayden, another kid who's just got his last year of eligibility. So Illinois has got three, four backs who – you know, two, three of those guys could be gone next year. So you're going to have to replenish that room. So I think bringing in a Jordan Anderson and potentially bringing in a law for you to play running back is something that Illinois is looking at doing. Yeah, I think they recruited um, Jordan Anderson to more as an H-back type of kid. He's real, real big kid, uh, really effective uh, running back at JCA. But I, I think they like him uh, as an H-back where he can block, he can catch passes out of the backfield and you can still hand the ball off to him. But uh, they're also ask, after a few other running backs, um, uh, especially in the tw 23 class, not so much in the 22 class, but they're looking at a whole bunch of them in the 23 class. Yeah, for sure. And I think landing and getting those kids is going to be huge for Illinois as they try to really build this program up. Let's hit on another one. Another one I think who is, quite frankly, really, really important to Illinois. It might be their top target right now Austin Brown kid who can play probably defensive back in college I don't think he's going to translate much to a wide receiver I think he's played both ways in in high school but where do you think things kind of stand for him right now 
I think Illinois had some ground to make up from the get-go on this one. You know, the, the new staff came in, got it heavily involved right away, and they offered him, and they put, the, put on the full-court press. But uh, him and his parents, Austin and his parents, have been really diligent about, about uh, the recruiting process, and they started very early, and they started visiting, visiting schools. So, you know, Illinois feels like they've made up a lot of ground. I, I still think that a place like Michigan – you know, if they really want him, is going is going to be tough for him to beat. So, uh, I don't I don't see Illinois as the favorite right now, but that you know that could change. Here's another thing to me that's really interesting about the class that Illinois has right now, and this is one of the reasons why I think Brown is really important for this class is that they still only have one surefire defensive player, I think, in this recruiting class, and that's obviously the linebacker Malachi Hood, also from Julia Catholic. I think you're going to want to try and hit on a couple of defensive players here this summer. I think only is probably close to about halfway done with their class now that they have these 10 kids committed. But do you think that landing kids on the defensive side of the ball now is a much bigger priority as we head into the July and August months of the year? Yeah, no doubt about it. And, the, you know, I think the number one guy on the board right now is Jared Beatty from Oswego East. Um, kind of a tweener a little bit between a, a defensive end and a, a rush linebacker. He, he'd probably play rush linebacker in the 3-4 defense that Bielema is going to play. Uh, I think he likes Illinois a lot. You know, he's good friends with both Jordan Anderson and Ian Pugh, who are, who are both committed to Illinois. With those three guys, they, a while back they did a Zoom conference with all of them on, on the Zoom at the same time, selling, selling these kids on coming to Illinois. So for Beatty, I would call it Illinois – a favorite right now, and I put in a, a future cast um, pick for uh, Jared Beatty to Illinois. You would. Wow, that that's big for Illinois, and I know that they feel confident with where they're at with him right now. I know Beatty was someone who really wanted to take his visits and really experience the recruiting aspect, especially after not being able to go to different schools across the country for 15 months because of the recruiting dead period that existed with the pandemic. But you mentioned his relationship with Jordan Anderson and Ian Pugh. He's got a good relationship with Malachi Hood as well. And if the Illinois is able to go four for four on those kids, and I think that they probably have a good chance to do that with where we stand here on July 1st, that they're going to walk away pretty happy. And quite frankly, Doug, that's a great haul in your first year of in-state recruiting, something that Brett Bielema has made what probably his top priority since being hired. If you look at, I mean, Beatty is a top 15 prospect in the state. I believe Pew's a top 15, top 10 prospect in the state. Jordan Anderson's not as high up there, but I think his ranking is probably a little bit lower because of the weird season that Illinois had this year in high school football. He wasn't able to go to camps. He wasn't able to play a full season. And Malachi Hood, to me, is someone who's a sleeper in this class. Really good athlete, can play linebacker, can potentially maybe play safety if Illinois needs him to as well. Good athlete. If you're able to bring in those, you know, big four guys. I think you feel pretty good about what you brought brought in your first year in the state of Illinois based off of where things were at with Lovey Smith's tenure. Yeah, every coach that I've covered from from um, Ron Zook to um, Brett Bielema have said that they wanted to make state of Illinois a priority and, and none of them really did. Uh, Brett Bielema said the same thing from day one and he's he's followed through on it. I think he's made a statement to the coaches in the state of Illinois that he was serious when he said he wanted Illinois to be, to be uh, one of their bases uh, when it comes to recruiting. And that's what they've done. They're not, they're not in position yet where they're, they're going to be getting the, the, the top level kids, the four and five star kids that have 
you know, offers off the charts and all that kind of stuff, but they're going to get the second tier kids. And if they win with them, uh, then they, then they can't start get, getting those uh, top kids from the state. And, uh, you know, they followed through on it. I think the takeaway really from the time Billman was hired until now was he's not being, he's not exactly being real patient when it comes to uh, remolding this team in his image and what he wants it to be. You know, that, that's kind of funny because at the, you know, when we first talked to him, when he first came to, to Illinois, he's like, uh, well, we don't know what, what if we're going to switch to a 3-4 yet. We don't really know what kind of offense we're going to play yet because we're going to see what kind of players we have on the roster and evaluate it from there. But he did, he did just the opposite. He started making changes right away. They went to a 3-4 defense in the spring. Uh, and now they had exit interviews with a bunch of kids and they decided that Illinois wasn't the place for him, maybe not a great fit for him in the scheme. And uh, you saw, I think, six kids this week um, – decided that they were going to depart. And, um, Lovey Smith went through the same kind of growing pains when he first got there. Uh, and 14 kids transferred out of the program, you know, I think in his first or second year. And uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, adjust well to that. They had depth issues. He didn't recruit better players than the 14 kids that, that left. So it's a gamble, uh, but I think they feel good about where recruiting is going. They feel good about what they've done in the transfer portal. So uh, this is going to be a completely different, football uh, team that takes the field this fall. Uh, it's going to be a power running game. It's going to be a 3-4 defense, and it's going to look like a Brett Bielema coach football team. Yeah, and I don't – I think it's important to remind people, like you said, that those players that left, obviously Kyron Cumbie, James Frenchie, Brevin Jones, Blaze Sparks, Anthony Shipton, Trayvon Riggins, all those guys didn't necessarily fit, I think, what Illinois was looking to do. And they were all buried on the depth chart in the spring. I mean, Kyron Cumbie was the last wide receiver to go through drills at every spring practice we were able to attend. And then they moved him to running back and he was the last running back to go through drills. And he just doesn't fit. I mean, he's really fast, but he's a legitimate five foot five. Probably I think they list him at like five foot seven. I mean, he's five foot six, five foot five at best. So he just doesn't fit. James Frenchie, just a little bit smaller. doesn't necessarily have the size that I'm always looking at for wide receiver. And then, you know, Bremen Jones is someone who the last half was high on, I think, to potentially replace Vidarian Lowe or Alex Palczewski at tackle. But he just doesn't have that physical nature, that size that Illinois is looking for at tackle that they seem to really kind of like in a player like Julian Pearl, who seems to be primed to maybe take over that role. Maybe a Jordan Slaughter as well. And, you know, Anthony Shipton doesn't really fit. He's a tweener in this defense. He, you want him to be an edge rusher, he doesn't fit that role. He's not fast enough to get out in coverage and pass passing situations. You look at – he also just didn't prove much. He didn't play very much last year, and he just doesn't fit. And same kind of thing with Trayvon Riggins. And you see where they're going, and I think that that should give Illinois fans a really good understanding of what to expect at Zucky Field this year and maybe just kind of go in there with expectations of – they don't need to go to a bowl game. They don't need to win eight games or whatever, but they should just hopefully be competitive if you're an Illinois fan. I think that's what you want because you were able to bring back 21 seniors, 22 seniors with the return of Mike Epstein, actually. And you've got a core of kids that are younger, highlighted by obviously Isaiah Williams and Reggie Love and pieces on the offensive and defensive lines like Keith Randolph that maybe they're able to just stay in games that they weren't able to stay in in the past with more prepared, better coaching that puts the players in a position to be successful more frequently. 
I think Rod Perry is going to be real good this year, and, and uh, John Newton, Jerzon Newton, both going to be really good players this year too. So, um, you know, these six guys, you're, you're not, this, they're not losing them is not going to be the difference between winning and losing uh, football games. But you are kind of disappointed that the, that they didn't work out. Uh, I think in Frenchy, I think is the top, probably the top guy that. Because you thought he could be a pretty good slot receiver. He had some quick twitch about him. And you thought he could probably return punts um, for him and be involved in the return game. So that was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Brevin Jones, you know, just came to Illinois at the wrong time. He's a guy who fits uh, athletically in a, in a spread uh, attack like Rod Smith was running. You know, he's a guy who's probably be a pretty decent zone blocker, who's got good feet and who can get good angles. But if you're talking about a power running game, he's not the right guy, and this was not going to be the place for him. Um, and then Blaze Sparks, I think, was just a just a, a miss. It was it was a bad recruiting evaluation. He's athletically, he's just not a power five kid. He's a kid that's going to play at the FCS level, maybe group of five level. He he looks the part. He's about six seven and big kid, but uh, just doesn't move well enough to play offensive line at that at this level. Yeah, so, Doug, I think that's everything that I wanted to hit on with your recruiting-wise, and I'm sure our listeners probably learned a lot. Is there anything else that you want to mention before we get out of here? Um, yeah, I think we, uh, we talked about Brett Bielema um, molding the team in his own image, and uh, our columnist, John Sapini, is, is writing a column on that, I think, now as we speak, and it's going to be on the front page, so look out for that. And, uh, other than that, Alec, I think we're good to go, man. Yeah, Doug, thanks again for letting me host today. Hopefully I didn't screw up too many times or I met your expectations. But uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure to check out Orange Blue News. Give both Doug and I a follow on Twitter at Illinois Rivals for Doug and at Alec underscore Bussy for me. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully you were able to take something away from this. Have a good one. All right, we're out. Thanks, Alec.